something I had said, you know, and felt deeply back then. And I think still rings true today is, you know, go where others don't go and do what others don't do. You're listening to Business Edge, the podcast for professionals looking to excel in the workforce. In each episode, our guests take a deep dive into their personal and professional experiences to give you an edge in the marketplace. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Kappa Psi Professional Business Fraternity. Welcome back to the Business Edge. We're glad to be back with you today. I have Nicole Klemp with me. How are you doing, Nicole? Hi, Chrissy. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. It's a beautiful Friday here in Indianapolis, and we are so excited to have Dan Harbeck with us today. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Nicole, do you want to tell us a little bit about Dan before we get started? Yeah, we're so glad to have Dan with us today. So Dan serves as the Government Affairs and Public Policy Manager for Google in the Midwest, He's active in his community and has served on the Young Professionals Council Board of Directors through the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce and is a past chairman of the Utah Foundation Board of Trustees and a past president of the Board of Directors for Keep Texas Beautiful. And he's also served on the Board of Directors for Junior Achievement of Utah and the Natural History Museum of Utah. Dan holds a degree in marketing and political science from Creighton University, where he presently serves on the National Alumni Board. And he's also the proud dad of two beautiful girls, Elle and Emmy. Thanks for joining us today, Dan. I'm so glad to do it. Welcome. That's quite an impressive volunteer roster you got going on there. We'll get into that a little bit later, but can you kick us off by telling us a little bit about high level your career thus far? Well, sure. And so you know, I originally grew up in North Dakota and Minnesota. I came down to Omaha to go to college and uh, just after college, uh, started with Union Pacific Railroad on the commercial side of the business and marketing and sales, calling on customers. Uh, but in late 2007, early 2008, uh, the company kind of recreated their public affairs group, their government relations uh, work. And so I had an opportunity to move out to Salt Lake City at a very uh, young age and worked across the Mountain West doing our government affairs type work out there for seven years uh, out of Salt Lake City and then uh, moved with Union Pacific to uh, Fort Worth, where I worked across a large portion of Texas and also Arizona for a time uh, before ultimately relocating back to the Midwest. You know, I love this part of the country. I love this type of work and to do it for Google has been uh, just a real treat. And so uh, now I manage Google's government affairs across the Midwest and obviously greatly enjoy it. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means to run the government affairs for Google? What do you do day to day? Yeah, there are so many directions you can probably go. So government affairs and external relations um, can mean a lot of things. You know, probably one of the more simple way to put it is, you know, this time of year, you know, first quarter, second quarter, so many of our state legislatures are in session thinking about policy. And so uh, that is where I spend a lot of my time. We have uh, folks at our state capitals that we work with. And so just being mindful of the uh, issues that may affect tech or our industry or company uh, specifically in the states where we operate here in the Midwest. But then maybe the second half of the year when the legislatures are out of session is probably more the external affairs side, thinking about how Google can best be active uh, and responsive in our communities. Very nice. And so where do you get your news sources? Are there any alerts? I mean, obviously, Google alerts are famous, but are there any specific newsletters that you follow or anything that you get? to get that up-to-date information? The answer is yes. Uh, so, you know, personally, I've, you know, I still read the paper. I, I love having inky fingers. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I've been a daily Wall Street Journal subscriber for a long, long time. And, and it's funny, when it doesn't come, I just feel out of sorts. I, I love having the daily Wall Street Journal. Even though I think I have the app, uh, I rarely use it, maybe unless I'm traveling, but uh, love having a physical paper in hand. 
you know, through work, there are so many kind of daily, uh, uh, daily news clips, if you will. Uh, Axios puts out a wonderful uh, daily note. Uh, and so as I think about, you know, at least professionally, the states where I'm working, uh, mostly Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Missouri, and then just the Midwest generally, should there be an issue, uh, there are kind of dailies for what's happening in Des Moines or what's happening in the Twin Cities, uh, and then just maybe what's happening politically or just in the tech space generally through uh, things like Politico uh, and other resources. So there's probably half a dozen at least kind of just daily emails that you kind of just have to flip through every morning. But again, that's that's uh, a wonderful way to kind of understand what's going on and to make sure you're not missing something. Yeah, great point. Yeah. So being at Google, you know, it's so influential on our lives and work. So what would you say are some ways that government affairs and public policy kind of intersect with the workforce today and, and kind of how people work? You know, it, it's amazing to me, you know, I'll be honest, this is an industry I really didn't even know anything about, certainly in high school and probably not even college. Uh, I think what, what people would find interesting is that, you know, I mean, so many industries, if not every industry has probably, you know, a, a government affairs uh, or lobbying uh, aspect to it, whether you're right, whether you're left, whether you're a small industry, whether you're a major corporation, uh, nonprofit, it, it often comes down to, uh, you know, the advocacy side and trying to advocate for either their ability to do business in a particular area, uh, maybe protecting uh, their interests uh, or their ability to grow. And so it's been a lot of fun, um, you know, having done that for Union Pacific over time and now doing it uh, for Google in so many ways, Government affairs is government affairs is government affairs. There, there are some things that are uniform about it, uh, but it's been fun and interesting to see what uh, worked and what was effective, say, at the railroad in so many communities where they operated through uh, versus, say, with Google uh, in tech generally, but also in some of our communities where we have either offices or data centers. How did you even get interested in government affairs? I know you talked a little bit about it, you know, it kind of evolved in your job, but what uh, attributes do you think you have that make you good at it? Oh boy. And kind of what advice would you have to people that might be interested in getting into that? You know, that, that's, that deserves so much thought and, and probably even changes over time. But the two immediate words, uh, one being curious and then two connectivity, uh, just, mm -hmm. you know, always being kind of a connector. I think so many of us find that uh, you know, we love making those connections. You know, we were making connections before social media, you know, was mm -hmm. a thing. But it's interesting. I've this is probably a little unfair, but I've thought so often how, to your point, uh, you could. And this is, you know, I have a word for it, but I think I can almost draw a line from what it was back then to what it is now. Um, and so I could truly almost trace it back to in high school. You know, Dad brought home a flyer for the you know, Fargo-Moorhead Chamber Youth Leadership Program. It's like, oh, okay, that sounds neat. You know, once a month for nine months, you meet with other students and do things and trust falls and, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but you were meeting people, you were making connections. And again, this is the days before social media, uh, you know, almost barely even before email. Uh, you would write a letter or, or maybe even an email at that point in time to keep in touch. And so, you know, the youth leadership program then trend, you know, probably gave me the confidence to be involved in student council and national honor society. So you saw that kind of evolve from, say, sophomore year in high school to junior, senior year and then in college. So getting involved in student government and student activities. Uh, Alpha Kappa Psi was one of those examples. And then, you know, following college, being involved in the community, the Creighton Young Alumni, the Omaha Chambers Young Professionals Group, which was really 
kind of coming into itself at that point in time. And so, you know, all of that to say, kind of fell into being active in the community and really enjoyed it, but never knew it was a job or a thing you could do. And so I recall very vividly when the public affairs position at Union Pacific became available where, you know, simply put, you know, the job is to be involved in your community. It's like, well, gosh, I think I'm already doing that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could do that and that could be work. And uh, lo and behold, they gave me an opportunity to do that. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. That's amazing. So, you know, given your experience with, you know, two really large organizations compared to kind of a lot of your nonprofit work with smaller entities, what would you say is the biggest difference between working at a you know big corporation like Google uh, versus working with a small nonprofit organization that you volunteer with currently? Yeah, no, that that's the, and there's different ways you can approach that. So I'll think of it just on, on one side from philanthropy, right? You know, so uh, in my role today, oftentimes we are a, a corporate funder of uh, different organizations, different events. Um, and there's obviously ways that we think about that. But having served on nonprofits, having led nonprofits, and so much of that can be development work or, or read another way, fundraising. And so having had hat in hand um, gives you an appreciation. So, you know, when you're a funder, how am I looking at a nonprofit? But having been in a nonprofit shoes, how should we approach that company? How's the company or how's the funder looking at it? And so probably worth a whole separate podcast on corporate funding and philanthropy and, and development. But uh, it gives you an appreciation having been in both sides, having worked for large, you know, corporations, um, you know, right off the bat, just having, you know, having the resources, having the name recognition, just things we probably otherwise take for granted, whether that's, you know, having, and obviously at Google, we are so well taken care of, uh, but just having those resources, uh, and the name recognition. So when, whatever it is you're trying to do, and if we get back to the advocacy piece, you know, when you show up at a state capital or when you show up at a local chamber of commerce, and it's not so much, I, I try to think of this, it's not me who's in the room, it's Google who's in the room or Union Pacific who's in the room mm. and being mindful of that. Uh, and that's that's both an incredible honor, but it's also something uh, that comes with a great deal of deference and humility uh, to, to recognize who you're there representing uh, and not taking that for granted versus say, you look at the other companies around the table, there may be smaller organizations or smaller nonprofits who don't have the resources, who don't have the name recognition. So uh, it's never lost on me, uh, having been very fortunate to work for the companies I've worked for, that some of that work is already done because people know who you are Mm -hmm. and the expectations are there. Having said that, you better then meet those expectations uh, and, and hopefully obviously exceed in terms of what they're expecting. But ultimately, big or small, it comes down to the people, uh, the people you're working with, your coworkers, the industry that you're in. Uh, and obviously, if, if you're with good folks, uh, ultimately, it's not work. Great point. I think uh, you were talking about how you walk into the room and you represent the company. And I'm sure when you walk out of the room and you're in your personal life, you still wear that Google hat and people still see you as Google. Um, so I think it's a good reminder to our listeners that you don't necessarily get to turn off your work personality or, you know, what you stand for at work when you're in your social settings, um, you know. I think that's very true. I think, you know, early on in my career, very early on, it was, I mean, again, commercially, you go in, you do your work, and then you go home and, and, mm-hmm. and work and home were very separate. But when you're working in a, in a public affairs, you know, government relations type role, Lord knows you still have privacy. But 
when your role is to be active and out there in the community, there is a sense of always being on. So mm-hmm. my days of wearing, you know, sweatpants to the grocery store are long <laughs> behind me, unfortunately. But uh, you never know who you're going to run into, uh, and and whether they perceive you as that role or not. It's about that jersey and the name mm-hmm. on the front of it. Yep, absolutely, and it never fails. You always run into somebody where you least expect it, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yes. On that note, um, you know, we've we've asked most of our guests about this, just given the times we've been through the last couple of years. For someone in your role, where, like you said, you have to be involved in the community and meeting with people, how has you know the pandemic impacted that and changed you know the way that you engage the community and and you know where you work and how you work and all of that kind of thing. No, uh, a couple different things. One, just, you know, from a, I don't know, uh, work from home, that kind of thing, just more kind of anecdotally and kind of fun, you know, Google, such a wonderful culture, just generally, right? I mean, across the board globally, I mean, you know, wearing a t-shirt and jeans, my work from home is my work outfit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so going from a, you know, kind of business professional type uh, role in the past to one where t-shirt and jeans is, is accepted, uh, that was, you know, that was one thing, but then in other words, when we transitioned to work from home, you know, uh, and then now even going back into the office, uh, kind of being dressed down is always kind of part of our culture at least, but also the tools. It was interesting. We were having video conferences and using so many of Google's tools anyways, before the pandemic. Right. So in other words, if we couldn't transition to the pandemic, heaven help us. I mean, yeah. Google was uniquely positioned, right. uh, you know, more than so many companies to make that transition from the tools that we already had. Of course, the pandemic, so many people started using our tools uh, much more widely at that point uh, as well. You know, from a community engagement standpoint, uh, it's interesting, you know, locally here, one of our largest facilities is in Council Bluffs, Iowa, just across the river from where I am here in Omaha. And we weren't in Nebraska. We, we came into Nebraska in 2019. We broke ground on a new facility uh, very exciting, wonderful to turn the lights on and think about our community engagement, joining the chamber, thinking about those organizations to support. And then the world shut down. Mm. And so very interesting to think about, you know, here you are just trying to make a first impression in a community, in a state, and then the rug is kind of pulled out. Now, we were still able to engage, still did a number of things that I won't take the time here to get into, uh, but we were able to do that. So now, what I would kind of argue as the kind of public affairs 101 or corporate engagement 101, we did those things even during the pandemic. It may have been different, may have been somewhat muted or measured more than we'd like. But what's been so uh, neat coming out of the, the pandemic is that, you know, now hopefully coming out of the pandemic, uh, the, the groundwork is laid, at least here, say, in Nebraska, where we're new. Uh, and we've kind of done at least the initial things you would think that a company would do when they come into a market. Well, now that we've done that and the world's turned back on, okay, now what about the next level and the next, you know, the, the 201, the 301, the 401, you know, um, we've done the, the initial stuff. Now, where are we? And not only what are we positioned to do, but what are those needs in the community? Are they the same as what they were before mm-hmm. the pandemic? Uh, there were certainly unique needs during the pandemic that we had an opportunity to uh, fulfill. And now coming out of it, given we are now here, uh, how can we be most responsive to some of the needs of the community? And there's a number of ways that we've we've considered doing that. And it doesn't happen overnight. This is something we are very okay taking some time to think through, get right, be measured in our uh, approach, uh, and you know, understanding we don't know it all. It takes time to get to know a community and find where a company like Google can best engage. Can you give us an example of something that you guys are looking at to help the community? 
There are so many ways to engage, whether it's for us, like Google.org is one of our you know philanthropic mm -hmm. arms of the company. And gosh, right back in 2019, we had this uh, Google.org million dollar impact challenge that we did just in, in, in about eight states or so. Nebraska was one of them where a uh, million dollars split across five nonprofits creating economic opportunity. That was one where and again, this has become more and more true. It's not just that we have, say, a data center in these communities. It's that Google is in these communities. And with that, we can bring the best of those resources to these communities. And so having a national program like a Google.org Million Dollar Impact Challenge mm -hmm. and bringing that to Nebraska, and not just for nonprofits here, but truly across the state, you know, walking away with, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars to help lift economic opportunity uh, that was one way that we were able to engage kind of bringing the larger resources of Google to bear locally. But we've got our local data center, uh, local grants program that has funded so many, you know, from uh, parks to, you know, STEM programs and high schools, building out computer science, uh, trade skills programs, kind of the, the shop class of tomorrow, those types of things. To even recently, uh, we just made another major announcement here in Nebraska where Part of that announcement was uh, a major contribution to a new library that's being built here in Omaha. And about this time last year, there was a new uh, science museum called the Luminarium that's being built. And we wanted to make sure we were on the front end of that as well, right? If Google is not involved with a library or if Google is not involved with a new science museum, uh, you know, those are places that we need to be. And so there are so many examples. And clearly, it's what gets us excited about being involved because it's not just a one size fits all. Here's what we do. It's no, truly what, what has happened in the community and are there unique, authentic places where a company like Google uh, can bring those resources to town. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. You've been listening to Business Edge brought to you by Alpha Kappa Psi Professional Business Fraternity and sponsored by Synergos Association Management Company. Now let's get back to the conversation. Um, I want to go back a little bit when you were talking about you're a connector and you talked about how you had to connect before social media. And I think social media, we've talked about this with other guests, but it gives us a false sense of connection, right? Like you and I have not seen each other in 20 years. We're connected on LinkedIn. So it feels like it's been a lot more recent than we've seen each other. What do you think is good advice for students and young professionals on how to truly be an authentic connector? Boy. So I think there's a lot of times people just run into a room and they think it's about exchanging business cards, but it's so much more. So what are your tips about being a good connector? Oh my gosh. You know, I'd almost have to pull up my notes from former PBLI <laughs> or uh, for those who go way back on uh, some of those speeches. Um, one showing up, uh, and, and it almost goes under the headline of, you know, things you wish you could tell yourself, you know, back then. Uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind and something I had said, you know, and felt deeply back then, and I think still rings true today is, you know, go where others don't go and do what others don't do. And that can manifest in a lot of ways. I think, you know, recently my, my girls here just had their birthdays. They just recently turned five and seven. And going through the exercise of writing thank you notes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, even for us as adults. But of course, you know, at their age, they're simply trying to write the words on their own. And, mm -hmm. you know, for my five-year-old actually writing the letters and my seven-year-old can, can, for the most part, write a you know, pretty complete thank you note. But it, it's not just that. It's, it's what it means, what it represents, being grateful uh, and going through the exercise. So showing up, 
doing the things that are unexpected. Uh, again, it, it's probably worth a whole conversation, but, uh, and I think following the pandemic in particular, such a, a reaffirmed need for those human connections, mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting together for, I mean, you know, it's one thing to do the video chats and there's a time and a place, no doubt, but, uh, and look, it isn't for everybody, but, uh, getting together for that cup of coffee, uh, when you schedule an hour, but the next thing you know, you just went for two because mm -hmm. you're so deeply engaged on whatever it is. Uh, there truly is something that that is fed by doing that. So uh, any number of examples, it depends where you are in your career. Uh, you know, reflecting on you know our conversation today, uh, you know, I think about, you know, you read off some of the bio things, right? Being involved in nonprofits, service organizations. Those are things I was probably able to do maybe before kids, right? Mm -hmm. You know, being able to put in the time, volunteer and do that. Well, uh, you know, I'm involved now, but I'm involved in a different capacity. Maybe it's through school or church activities. And you know what? I am so content and so happy with that. So that pendulum swings over time mm -hmm. uh, and just being open to that, where if you have the time and ability to uh, engage and be out in the community and active, wonderful. If things change and you have to be active in different ways, just being open and, and, and I guess, uh, seeing and understanding that and ultimately accepting that. And then when the time comes, when it swings back again, uh, being ready and open for it. That's great. Thank you. And you actually answered my question. I was going to ask about how you find the time to balance family, yeah. career, and getting involved. So I think you did a great job of sharing how that changes. I, I recall the transition from, you know, before kids to, to having children and, you know, from being hyperactive and hyper engaged, which deeply fulfilling, but also a profound sense of, you know what, I've got home and I've mm -hmm. got work and I am so content with that. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, home is a lot and work is a lot. So there's, you know, it's not ex you know exactly that simple, but I love being in that place. And I know that over time, you know, uh, there was a wonderful hashtag, 18 summers, right? You've only maybe got 18 summers with your children oh, right. kind of while they're home. Uh, and of course, with a seven-year-old, gosh, that means, you know, only about mm -hmm. 11 left there. Now, it's not that simple always, but that's a wonderful way to think about it where I'm very happy to be in this place. And you're right. There's parts of me that probably miss being active over here or over there, but that's okay. I, I need to be here and I love being here right now. And when, when this stage or phase moves on, then those other opportunities mm -hmm. will likely come back. But now you're entering those opportunities mm -hmm. with that much more experience, whether that's personal or professional that you can bring to that. So there's really a beauty in that, in that the things I was able to do early on in my career and outside of work was coming from, from what I was able to offer back then, which is probably more time mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and little experience, which now maybe, you know, say post-career or more tail-end career, uh, and maybe after the children are out of the home, uh, will be more time, but also hopefully more experience with that. So uh, again, it's just being comfortable and content where you are. That's great. Thank you for sharing. And I'm sure Nicole can relate to teaching kids how to do thank you notes. Oh, <laughs> if only I could get my boys to sit down and write their thank you notes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's a team sport. <laughs> yes. So I have a question about what drew you to Google. You talked a little bit about that transition, but what was the main draw for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, and I may have said it earlier, but, you know, I love this part of the country, the Midwest. It's, it's where I'm from. I've, I've grown to, to love this public affairs type work and to do it for a company like Google seemed incredibly exciting. I was fortunate when I lived in Salt Lake City to know someone who had who had made a move to Google. Uh, and it was about probably four years later that I just, 
you know, even how escapes me anymore, but I happened to see this opportunity for Google and, and back in the Midwest. And so uh, I happened to reach out to this friend to say, hey, uh, boy, this is something that has my attention, but, you know, I'm reading it and I can read it a certain way, but you're there. You know what this is, number one. And number two is, you know me from my work and experience. Do these things match up, right? I mean, if I want this to match up in my head, I can make it match up. Uh, but you know me and you know what this is. Is there something there? And the feedback was yes, and, and you should consider it. And so, you know, you you do the thing, you hit the button, and uh, you have conversations, and it led to having an opportunity to effectively move back home and do this type of work. So, uh, very very fortunate. And again, it's 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 not work. It's uh, blessed to be able to do this type of thing, and you're effectively learning every day. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy the heck out of that. That's great. I, uh, you know, again, reinforcing that connector, you stand for what you're known for. And so people know what they're getting when they get you. So I feel like a lot of students are interested in working for a Google or for an Apple or a big name company that probably gets thousands of applicants per job. Do you have any tips or any suggestions on how people could possibly try to stand out in the crowd if that's something they want to pursue? Yeah, I mean, that's again probably worth a whole separate conversation. You know, I know you know for Google specifically, there are you know on different social media, there are ways you can follow. You know, for example, Life at Google, and they're often putting out tips on you know uh, resumes or interviewing, and so much of it is just you know be yourself. So many things that we're spoiled to have reinforced even with our culture. But I saw one the other day that said, you know, if you're preparing for an interview and you're just not where you need to be and you need to ask for more time, ask your interviewer for more time, you know, send an email saying, Hey, I'm just not, you know, something came up personally, or, you know, gosh, I need a little bit more time to prepare for my interview. Having the, you know, the, the freedom and the safety to be able to do that. And the fact that Google even says that um, to applicants really says a lot about the company culture and the company values. Uh, so, but ultimately be yourself. I found that through my process of uh, just, here's who I am, here's what I offer, here's what excites me. Um, now, I'll, I say that, but it, let me balance it also with what I can see myself saying to a room full of, you know, folks at AKSI at a convention, which is prepare, prepare, prepare. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got somewhere in this desk here, probably, you know, my notes from, you know, in that case, and this is probably universal for any job that you would apply for an interview for, but I probably had the, you know, actual job description, right? The actual job mm-hmm. probably printed out, probably underlined and highlighted mm-hmm. the different things that they look for. And then finding out what examples do you have that can speak to those things? Number one. Number two is then practicing and rehearsing, you know, tell us about a time when, or tell us about a project that led to this, or tell us about a time when you failed and how you learned. Well, what examples might you be able to give that can answer that question in an effective way? And if you've got a couple of things that you really want to highlight, hopefully you can bring those out uh, in the questions they're asking. But mm-hmm. if not, there's always that opportunity when it's your turn to ask questions, for example, hey, gosh, you know, XYZ is really important to me. Can you tell me how you know your company looks at it? Well, gosh, I'm glad you said that because that reminds me of this project that I did and I was able to represent that and that was important to me. So again, a whole separate conversation on interviewing and, and those techniques. But I can tell you there was an awful lot of preparation and you know, talking to the mirror, uh, <laughs> if you will, uh, in preparing, but that's, that's out of a profound respect for the opportunity. Right. I mean, any company, uh, Google, especially a profound respect for the opportunity, uh, and, uh, making sure that you're in a place where you can, I mean, we all know these things, 
and it just takes the exercise to go through it, mm -hmm. organize it, be comfortable with it. So you can be conversational mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to, you know, an otherwise rambling mess. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. You know, you were on the board for Keep Texas Beautiful. And I interviewed for Keep Indianapolis Beautiful for the CEO position, but I had no environmental experience. So I'm like, how am I going to stand out in the interview process to even get an interview? And so in the cover letter, I talked about training for an Ironman and swimming in the waters in Indianapolis and, you know, running on the streets and biking and work that in. And the recruiter called me and she's like, your cover letter sold us and we want to talk to you. And it ended up they went with somebody with environmental experience. But to your point, you know, you can work in your experience that you want the recruiters and the companies to see to help sell yourself. So I think that's exactly right. And, and I'm reminded too, you know, I recall very early on, uh, or maybe after a couple of years on the public affairs side with Union Pacific, you know, just being kind of uh, taken with, holy cow, wow, how, how fortunate, right? To fall into the type of work that mm -hmm. I really enjoy at, I mean, shoot, what, 25, 26, yeah. 27 years old, where again, it's not work. Doesn't mean there's not hard or difficult days, but it's not work. And I, I remember thinking it's good and bad, right? How fortunate to have fallen into something you like, but also, oh my God, I don't want this taken away. I found the thing I like. Mm -hmm. I, let me please keep doing it. But then the question is, well, well, what is it that you like about it? And I was struck with, you know, I'm, I'm deeply fulfilled by the work and I feel it's making an impact. And it was those two things being fulfilled and making an impact. And it was very liberating to think, you know, ultimately, I really don't care what I do or what the title is or what have you, as long as I'm fulfilled in my work and I'm making an impact that I don't care, you, can, you know, sign me up for it. Right. And that's probably true, maybe, you know, in the volunteer world, uh, but also in the professional world. And I found that to carry forward. Um, and then also, you know, being very fortunate to do public affairs work for Union Pacific, public affairs work now for Google, but, but making the transition that I'm not so much a company person doing public affairs work, maybe starting to transition to, boy, I see myself as a public affairs or external affairs professional who just happens to do this work for this company or this company or this organization. And that was an interesting way to kind of frame it. So for those who are in whatever sector, right, whether they're in finance or uh, law, whatever it might be, do they view themselves as the, the corporate person doing accounting or are they an accountant who just happens to bring that skill set to that company? It's an interesting way to frame it. Mm -hmm. and, and again, kind of uh, is very liberating in, you know, in terms of people thinking about uh, what their next role might be. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think there's also probably a correlation between people who do follow their passion for their work and how successful they are in their career because you're mm -hmm. putting your heart and soul into your work because you love it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of helps boost you up and, and get you further along in your yep. career because your you're so passionate about yep. the work. Yeah, that's great. Exactly. Well, I think we've just got a couple minutes left, Dan. So uh, I'm going to ask you our signature question that we ask all the guests on the Business Edge podcast. So tell us about a time when your personal values were challenged. What happened and how did you handle it? That is, you know, that that's a heavy question. That's a deep question, um, but it's a fair question. There are, unfortunately, probably so many examples of where you're, I mean, I would argue your personal values are probably challenged every day to some degree. Um, and so rather than, I mean, there's examples I could probably give, but I think what I'm more drawn to is uh, when you're, personal values are either in conflict or under attack, perhaps would be a way to think about it. 
Uh, it's, it's, I would argue having, and we've talked about this a little bit, you've heard me use these words, but having a, a level of self-acceptance. In other words, no, the way I feel is, is okay. My values, while maybe under attack or maybe different from someone else, are still my values. And so just having a level of, of personal acceptance, which probably leads to personal confidence, right? And it, again, can be very liberating saying, you know, uh, and then I, there's the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which <laughs> great Lord one. knows dates myself a little bit. And there's, it's On a VHS. fantastic movie. Great movie for so many for so many ways, but there's uh, John Candy, right? Who's in that movie. He's got this part where he's kind of, I mean, I would argue his values are kind of being attacked a little bit. He's hes a different guy, right? He's a different duck in that movie and kind of a little bit of an odd character, but he was effectively being attacked. And, and he says, you know what? I like me. Uh, and what you see is what you get. And, and I find myself drawn back, great movie on its own, but I find myself getting drawn back to that line that, you know, I like me. I'm okay with me. Uh, and so I think whatever whatever happens beyond that, you know, be it as it may, but having a starting position of, in other words, when your values are under attack, do you do you compromise your values? I mean, right? Because that's that's certainly an alternative, and I would mm-hmm. argue probably not a good one. Do you stay true and authentic to yourself? So when your values and views are under attack, for me, it's starting with a level of self acceptance, and from there, hopefully, a level of self confidence. Say, look. These are my views. I'm okay with it. Um, I like me, and let's go from there. But having said that, that has to hopefully be balanced with whoever the counterparty is, listening, learning, observing. Why are they seeing it? And, and ultimately, not being combative, but but having what is hopefully otherwise a, a, a conversation to think through. Well, I know where I'm at, and here's and here's why I'm there, and here's what where that's coming from. Help me understand your side, and ultimately, you would hope that at least to some level of compromise. But ultimately. Uh, never compromising your own values. That's a great response. Yeah. Yeah. Different we take need more than we've of had. that today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> yes. And I was going to say, didn't John Candy usually play odd, quirky roles in all of his movies? <laughs> and I know for sure it was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, but there's a, a couple of good lines out of Uncle Buck as yes, well. Yes. I was yeah. thinking of Uncle Buck, and then I was thinking <laughs> when he played the clarinet in the moving truck in Home Alone. <laughs> That's right. That's oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Anyway. Oh, well, it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for all you do for the community and what you've done for the fraternity over the years and really resonated a lot of what you said. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dan. Happy to do it. I'm indebted. Alpha Kappa Psi has helped so many continues to, and uh, to have that as a part of, of my history, I am grateful for, and it's fun to find ways to give back. So thank you for including me. Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to Business Edge. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions for us, email businessedge at akside.org.